Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. Good. I want to start, I want to tell you a story uh, about a company. You guys have all heard of them. And it's not really a company. It's more like an institution. As soon as I get this. Um, you've, uh, you've likely interacted with them. It started a while ago. Uh, it was a bunch, by a bunch of blue-collar workers. But now, at this point uh, in the game, uh, a third of the world has actually interacted and, and has some kind of like regular interaction with them. Uh, it's pretty, I mean, they are far-reaching. They, uh, every year they add 65 million like, new kind of customers, users, whatever you'd want to say, and they lose only 27 million every year. So it's growing really, really quickly. Uh, in America alone, uh, 92% of Americans own like, one of their main products, and um, 100 million people every single year, I mean, this is crazy, 100 million people every single year download the app that they put out. I mean, you guys probably have. Uh, it's really, really far-reaching. The most impressive part about them is not that, though. It's their philanthropy, like all of the things they've done in the world. They have started schools, orphanages, hospitals. They've lobbied for prison reform more than anybody else. They've lobbied for equitable housing more than anybody else. They've donated all kinds of man hours to different causes. Uh, they've donated a ton of hours just to the city of New York, just to the city of New York. If you valued the time that they've donated to that city, it would be worth $8.8 billion every single year. They've started, or their leaders have started, so many different universities. Uh, they started my university, Go Hoosiers. They've started so many hospitals. Uh, 13% of American hospitals were started by them or some of their leaders. They have made serious contributions in the world of philosophy, in the world of music. Uh, contrary to popular belief, they made a lot of contributions to the world of science, They've empowered women before, it was, before anybody else was doing that. They're usually the first people to respond to natural disaster. They helped end the apartheid in South Africa. They've done more to end poverty than anyone else. They have brought more clean water to anybody else. They're fighting to end child hunger and sex trafficking. Actually, this organization, and uh, you probably know them, you've heard of them, um, they... Uh, and their leaders were the ones that actually fought to first end the slave trade. They were the ones, and their leaders were the ones that were hiding uh, Jews during World War II. They were the ones that were the tip of the spear during the, the civil rights marches. And no, it's not Apple. It's not Amazon. Uh, it's not the Gates Foundation, although that's a good guess. It's not UNICEF, it's not the Peace Corps, it's not the Salvation Army, the YMCA, Doctors Without Borders, it's not the United Way. It is easily the most influential, the largest, sometimes controversial, but often justice-seeking organization that has ever graced the world with its presence. And they've made some mistakes. Um, Apple has made Apple Maps, so we've got to give that to them. <laughs> Amazon has made the Amazon Spark. Have you ever heard of it? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And they've done some things that uh, aren't the best either. But, man, this organization, this institution is beautiful. She's so beautiful. She's influential. She's powerful. She's always trending. She's the church. The church. 
And this morning, we're going to read the origin story of her. It starts in Acts 2. I'm just going to start reading Acts 2.2. 2. It'll be on the screen. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard a sound, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these the Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in the, our own language them speaking the wonders of God? And it goes on to talk about the, the um, Elamites were there, the Parthians, the residents of Mesopotamia. I mean, they start to list, Luke starts to list every nation. It says every nation under heaven was there. And at the very end, it says, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. This is the beginning of the church. Uh, this is kind of our origin story. We started uh, as a church three weeks ago, but really we started 2,000 years ago. This is the origin story of how we got here. And it started with the Holy Spirit coming. The Holy Spirit coming in a really powerful and mighty way. And what it did, what he did when he came, is he inaugurated the new covenant. And, and before that, they'd been hoping, they'd been living under the old covenant. And at times, the Holy Spirit, it's not the first time he came to earth. He had come at times, and he'd come for this time or on this person. But when he came this time, it later says that he was poured out on all flesh. So he came to anyone who would want him, and he came for good. He permanently ushered in this new covenant. And, and we read a few things in Acts 2. I mean, this is really fascinating. He comes in a really specific, but also like, we'll say unique way. He comes through a sight through a sound, and through speech. So he comes, first of all, through a sound. It says that it sounded like, and it wasn't, but it sounded like wind. It sounded like the wind was there. It sounded like he was moving. And we know from other passages in the Bible that the wind often represents the power of God. Luke 24 talks about that. And so the power of God rushed into that room. And then it said it looked like, it wasn't, but it looked like tongues of fire. If it really was, that would have been weird. But this is still weird and unique in its own way, and it looked like tongues of fire were coming down, and we know from other passages back in the Old Testament or even earlier on that fire represented the presence of God, specifically the purity of the presence of God. And so the power of God comes in, the presence of God, the holy purity of God comes in, and then the last thing was a sound that everyone heard. It said that it sounded, uh, it was like tongues, it was different languages, and, and that raises a whole lot of questions. I mean, this idea of tongues, Acts 2, like, one of the more controversial things, and I just want to say that we are not scared to tackle that topic. But we did it on November 15th, so if you want to know more, you got to go back and listen, because just today, we're going to keep going through the church, but I want you to know, I'm not scared of tongues. I'm not scared of it. You just got to go back November 15th, listen to that. But for right now, it says that tongues came, and that everybody started to hear everything, uh, the gospel being proclaimed in their own language. And so the power and the purity are there, and then the universality of God. So as soon as the gospel comes, it's preached to other people, and God wastes no time. I think this is really key. He wastes no time contextualizing the gospel into their language. 
It wasn't like he came and he said, I'll, I'll be here, but you got to learn Hebrew, you got to learn Aramaic if you want to really hear what's going on. He says, no, 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 I want this one. This one's for everyone. And he starts to speak in every language. Uh, it says every language under heaven. And he did it at a time that Jerusalem was not like normal population, but he did it uh, during a feast called Pentecost. So there were three big feasts of the day in the Jewish day. There was Passover, which was 50 days before. This is about the time that Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So we're 50 days later, and then there's uh, Pentecost, and there's another one in the fall, the Feast of Tabernacles. And so God chooses to do it at a time that there were, the, the size of Jerusalem would have swelled um, much, much bigger than usual. Every nation under heaven. And Luke starts to just list them. It's like, man, you got some from the north and the south and the east and the west. And there's all kinds of implications of this. But I want to start with this idea, that the gospel has always been global. From the very first time the gospel was preached, it was a global message. It wasn't just for the people in Jerusalem. No, he came, and he came at a time when the nations were gathered, and he, and he contextualized it immediately. The gospel of Jesus, the, the news that the whole church is built around, has always been a global faith. It's always been global news. It also says, and you might have picked this up, they said, Isn't, aren't these the Galileans? And, uh, and this would have been like, uneducated, like kind of hillbilly um, more people, and, and it would have been in a city where lots of like intellectuals would have gathered, but they would have come from the north, and it's like, why would God, I mean, God chose the Galileans to bring this? This is like hillbillies um, preaching to MIT grads, and again, no offense to either, but this was not the way that it would have been expected to go. You would have expected the other way, but he says, no, 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 I'm going to bring it through the Galileans, I'm going to bring it through the hillbillies, and I want to immediately spread it to the rest of the nations. And, uh, and there's a popular thing, like you've probably picked this up sometimes, where uh, it's fun to kind of like bash, or it's not even fun, but we like to bash on the American church, uh, and it's because we've done so many things wrong. I mean, we just miss on so many different levels. But I'll say in the world of missions, uh, the American church has done quite well, at least comparatively. This, the, this country, uh, the church in this country has sent by far more missionaries out into the field than any other. And not that it's a contest, but this country, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s, has had so many people lay down their lives. A lot of them even have been in this church. Like they've laid down their lives for a season or they've laid down their lives for the rest of their life to take the gospel to somewhere that it hasn't yet been. That's an amazing, I mean, that's an amazing calling to both go and I find it almost equally amazing for the people that say, no, 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 I'm going to stay, but I want to fund what you're doing. I want to invest not just my life, but I want to invest my money in where you're going. The gospel has always been global, and it was always meant to go elsewhere. It wasn't just, it certainly wasn't just an American religion, and it wasn't supposed to be uh, a religion that was founded in Jerusalem. John Stott, uh, he's a theologian, he says, we must, because we know him, we must make him known. And, uh, and that's just a quote, it's not scripture, so... I don't feel like a heretic when I add to it. Because we know him, we must make him known, and we must make him known everywhere. And so for this church, I mean, our main focus is kind of the urban core of Cincinnati. You know, we can't go everywhere all the time, but we also want to be a church that affects the nations, uh, that affects the broader city, and, and that, will, that has to be a part of our DNA. And so because we know him, we want to make him known, but we don't want to just make him known here because apparently God cared what happened over there. And then the last 
verse of the, the narrative. In verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? It's a key question that should come up when like the presence of God fills a room. It's like, oh, okay, he's here. I wonder why. Because he usually doesn't just come for our entertainment. When God shows up, and they're starting to sense, there's at least 3,000 there, and they're starting to sense, okay, I think there's something else going on here. It seems like there's something else happening. I wonder what this means. That should be the question we ask every time God enters a room or enters a situation, or maybe it's just you alone. Like When God shows up, it's worth asking, what does this mean? Um, a couple weeks ago, we, uh, we have house groups here, and all of us did a different outreach. Every house group did a different outreach. And the one that I'm a part of went to Washington Park, had a great idea to um, both hand out like peanut butter and jellies, uh, give out COVID lemonade, uh, not lemonade with COVID, but COVID lemonade. Uh, we had bottled waters and like sealed packets of crystal light, which I thought was a great idea for like a pandemic. So we gave out um, COVID-friendly lemonade peanut butter and jellies. We had like free pair of signs. And so we get to Washington Park and it's 45 degrees and rainy. We're like the worst night. So it was, it was, there was nobody there. And so we're like, okay, audible, we're going to go mobile. So we just like spread out through the city. And I met a guy on Vine Street and, uh, and we started talking and he told me that he had like lower back pain. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, I'd love to, you know, I'd love to pray for you. Uh, Jesus, I still believe that he heals today. And he's like, oh, okay, that'll be fine. And I was like, on a scale from 1 to 10, like, how much does your back hurt? And he's like, oh, it's pretty bad, but it's not terrible. He's like, it's probably a 5. And I was like, all right, we're going to pray. And so prayed, like, 15, 20 seconds. And I was like, okay, um, you know, let's test it out. Like, how's it feel? And so he tests it, and he's like, oh, yeah, it really hardly hurts at all. And I was like, seriously? <laughs> Because I'm still shocked when God shows up. I mean, this guy didn't seem to be. But he's like, yeah. I was like, scale from 1 to 10, what is it? He's like, I think like a 1, maybe a 2. And I was like, bro, that's amazing. I mean, I'm like starting to get excited. And he's like, yeah, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> Utterly unimpressed. And uh, I was like, okay, well, we're going to keep going. Like, we got to pray one more time. We're going to get this thing to zero. And he's like, no, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I've never had that happen ever. He's like, no, like, it's a lot better right now. Like, I think it'll be okay. I was like, really? Like, you're fine with like a one or, like, did God actually make your pain better? Like, you're not just lying to me? He's like, no, it's like, it's much better. And uh, I was like, but you want to, I was trying to not be condescending. I really don't think I was. I was like, but you're fine, like, just keeping it here. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think that'd be okay. The exact opposite response that the people had in the courtyard that day when they're like, God's here, what does this mean? I mean, this man, so unimpressed, I left, and it's the first time that someone's been like, I'm happy with the level of pain that I'm at. Not like, I don't want you to pray for me because this is awkward. But he's like, no, that worked. Apparently some kind of power showed up, but I'm cool. You guys can just leave. <laughs> when God shows up, they ask the right question, what does this mean? And then so... Peter stands up, and this is verse 14. Peter, kind of the de facto leader of the apostles at this time, and said, he stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all who, eh, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning, which is reasonable. 
Uh, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And, And then Peter launches into what we now know as like the first real sermon given uh, in the Christian faith by anybody other than Jesus. And I would say like one of the most important sermons ever because this is the thing that eventually launches the church and launches the faith. And he starts to explain what's going on. He starts to give some context and he says, guys, do you remember? Because it was all Jewish people there and many of them would have had uh, what we call the Old Testament, what they would have just called like scripture. Um, They would have likely had a lot of that memorized. And he said, guys, do you remember what Joel said? Like, Joel said that eventually the Spirit was going to be poured out on all flesh. That's what's happening here. He said, don't you remember, like, the Messianic age is supposed to come. Don't you remember, like, and, and he does, it's the technical term is called a pesher interpretation. He does a, this is that, where he says, this right here, you know what's happening? Like, this is weird. This is that from Joel 2. Joel 2 talked about, Joel talked about this, like, this right here is what's happening. And he starts to explain all that is happening, and he describes it as the last days. And, and that wasn't weird back then, because it hadn't been hijacked by cults at that point. He says, Look, guys, we're living in the last days. These are the last days. And he defines it as between the first and the second coming of Jesus. So we still live in the last days. And he starts to explain the life of Jesus. And he starts to explain, look, he lived, and here's some of the things he did in his ministry. We're not going to read the whole sermon, but this is the summary, and I'd encourage you to read it on your own. He says, this is the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then he died, and then he spends eight whole verses, a lot of his time, talking about the resurrection. And then he says, and then he was exalted, and then he brought salvation. And he not only talked about what Jesus did, but he talked about how that affected the world today. And, he, and you can pick up on this even as you read that sermon, and you can start to see this becomes the framework for some other speeches that are given in Acts. We'll get to those in future weeks. But Peter sets a precedent not just for what, but also how. And he starts to describe Jesus. He said Jesus is so special, like he's uh, historical, he's theological, and he's contemporary. Those are my words, not Peter's. But he says this was like a historical person. And, and it's what Tyler talked about last week. He said Jesus was witnessed by like real people, eyewitnesses. We can trust the account of Acts. We can trust uh, what scripture says because witnesses wrote it. He says this was a real man. I ate breakfast with this guy. Like he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a vision. Like he was really here. He's a historical person. He also is a theological person. Like there's implications to his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And he starts to describe the theological implications. And then, and this is maybe the most unique, and then he says, also he's contemporary. Like he's one of these contemporary religious figures. He's still alive. This wasn't just something back then. He's actually still living and he's still reigning. He's still offering, even today, salvation to any who would respond, not just some. And in this whole uh, speech, Peter starts to quote not just Joel, but he goes further back in the Old Testament. He goes and he draws from uh, Psalm 16 in our Bible and then Psalm 110. And he starts to understand, they start to understand, he starts to explain all that God was doing. And he starts to use the Jewish scriptures with Jewish people. He starts to explain, and this sermon, this is the sermon that eventually launches the church and launches the faith. I mean, if this sermon didn't go well, we likely would not be here 
lot of pressure, a lot of things riding on that sermon. And Peter starts to explain it, and we are here because people believed Peter. Now, I want you just for a second to imagine. What if Peter really didn't remember much of what Jesus said? What if Peter hadn't committed to memory some of the teachings of Jesus? What if Peter didn't know what we call the Old Testament? What if he just didn't know Scripture? He had no idea what Joel said. Like, what would he have explained all of those happenings as? Like, he might have actually been there. Like, tongues of fire come, and this wind sounds. And if he doesn't know what Joel says, and if he's never, he didn't remember what Jesus said, and he hadn't read Psalm 116, if he hadn't had those things in his mind, Peter would have potentially just said, like, potentially, maybe we are drunk. (laughs) I don't know what's happening here. Or, I mean, Judas might have laced the flower. I don't know what he did before he left, but I have no explanation for what's going on right now. But... Because the apostles, specifically right here, Peter, knew the word. They understood the word. They had committed to memory, not just the Holy Spirit, but also the word of God. Peter preached a killer sermon, the kind of sermon that people actually wanted to believe in. And the church, without the Holy Spirit, I mean, if he doesn't come, like, this whole thing's a flop. Like, it doesn't get off the ground at all. But Acts 2 would have ended much differently We're going to see that like the first revival happens, but it ends much differently if the apostles weren't familiar with the word. Yeah, it's not just the Holy Spirit. It's also us partnering with God and partnering with what God has already said. The word of God and the Holy Spirit are an unbelievable combination. Uh, There's two relatively pivotal moments, I would say, in my life and in my walk with Jesus. I I tell one story all the time uh, because it's like, really crazy. I, we were in college, some of us, we prayed for this girl, uh, it was one of my friends, and she had leukemia, she had been given three months to live, 19 years old, she had leukemia, she was in round seven of chemo, and, and we didn't know if God still healed, like we'd never done that before, but we got together one night, uh, we prayed for her, I remember we broke our fast at Qdoba, because most fasts that end with a burrito are better, um, don't quote me on that. And I remember like, okay, well, we prayed for her. That was really good. She called me a week later and she's like, Chris, I have no more leukemia. She said the, it's totally gone. The doctors don't know what's going on. I don't even have to like continue my uh, chemo treatment. And leukemia never came back. And it was that kind of moment. It was that kind of moment that changed my life. I was like, I didn't know. I, I literally, I didn't know that God still healed. I didn't know that God still moved. And it sent me on a trajectory of like, well, that was better than any college party I've been to. That was more fun than anything else I've ever ever done. And I changed trajectories after that phone call. A way less dramatic thing that happened in my life, uh, I've never told this story, not because like it's a secret, it's just boring, Um, was two years later, I read the whole Bible uh, in a year. End of the story. And uh, and it was way less flashy, um, but... I remember for the first time I read the Bible like end to end. It took me a whole year. I mean, it was like somewhat daunting. But I remember knowing pieces of the story of God before. And the first time I read the whole thing front to back, I got a framework for understanding all of the pieces that I'd learned before. And I've now gone to school for it. I like, this is kind of my day job. Like, this is my life right now. And I'm still learning. Like, I still read this book and I'm like, I had no idea it said that. Or I didn't know that that was what was going on then. But it started with just like one commitment of, okay, I think I'm going to try to read this whole thing right now. 
And uh, ever since that day, it was probably eight or nine years ago, I, uh, every time I study this book, I, I get ready for a message, I'm building on a foundation. The moral of the story is like, it's such a difficult book to understand, I know. Also, it's very easy, all at the same time. And, uh, and it just takes us starting. It just takes us actually moving it forward. But the church doesn't start, and, and we aren't complete believers if we don't have a combination of both the Holy Spirit and the Word. And, uh, and if your church, uh, I mean, hopefully this would never describe this church, but if a church doesn't have both, um, then quite frankly, it's just a social club, and that's fine. Social clubs are great. Uh, if you only have one of them, though, you're likely either religious or reckless. But when you have both, it is an unbelievably powerful combination. This is in your notes, and you can replace even church with like believer or community, but the believer, the community, the church that submits to the word of God and is filled with the spirit is an unstoppable force. The church that submits to the word of God and is filled with the spirit is an unstoppable force. See the last 2,000 years. Like, we're on quite a roll. We started with 120 in a room, and they were pretty scared. Like, there's lots of mistakes, but also lots of influence, lots of Really great things have happened in the earth because this church is moving. And Peter wraps up his sermon, and uh, this is what I'm expecting at the end of my sermon as well. But it said that those that accepted his message were 3,000, and they were baptized. So uh, it went well, and it says 3,000 were baptized on that day. Very last uh, verse that we're going to read, 41. However, in verse 1, and I skipped to verse 2 at the beginning, in verse 1 is where it all starts. Before the sermon, before the tongues of fire, it said that they were gathered together in one place. They were gathered together in one place. It was just 120 of them, and by the end of the message, there's 3,120 of them. It's like the first revival. They grew 26 times their size in one day. And 120, I mean, reasonably, that's about the size of this church when you factor in both services, 120. And, uh, and so a group about the size of us, they were committed to praying, they were in one place, they were com- committed to repentance, and they saw revival. And, um, well, probably a classic, like, preacher move would be to, like, say, okay, I want you to imagine, now, what if we did that? And that, I mean, that would probably be what most people would do. It was really predictable. But I want you to imagine, what if we did that? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I... So cheesy, but let's just imagine, a group of 120, like, that's probably us. I want you to imagine, it says, and there was not a whole lot that was special about them. I mean, Peter was pretty great at times, but I don't know. It was 120, and they were gathered in one place, committed to repenting, committed to prayer, committed to community. I want you to imagine a group our size doing the same thing. Like, what would that look like? I want you to imagine being just as excited about the resurrection as they were. I want you to imagine all of the like moves of God that we could see. I want you to imagine the incredible community that we could have. I want you to even imagine like how much easier are the hardships when you're with that kind of community. See, the church starts here in this moment, but it's really not any different than what's happening here or across the city or across the world. The church is still on the move, and this is just our origin story. And Peter, at the very end of his sermon, he says, um, because the people, it says they were cut to the heart. 
Like these, I mean, these were likely some of the same people 50 days before, 53 days before, that they saw Jesus hanging on a cross and they were like the ones yelling for that. It says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? And Peter says just two things. I mean, a really simple response. He says, I want you to repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repent means to change your mind, to change direction, to go one way and then go back the other. He says, I want you to change your mind. I want you to change your attitude about Jesus. Repentance has always been necessary in the gospel that Jesus preached. And then he said, I want you to be baptized. And at the time of this, baptism was kind of a humiliating thing. It was the thing that the, the real Jews made the Gentiles do if they wanted to follow their God. They submitted them to baptism. And it's a big deal that Peter says to a bunch of Jews. He says, no, 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 this is for all of you. He said, I want you to first have a heart posture change. I need you to change what's going on here. And then I want you to actually do a physical act. And Peter wasn't just asking for individual conversions. He was saying, no, I'm, we want to baptize you not just for your faith, but I want to baptize you into a new community. I want to baptize you into this place. Uh, one scholar says that commitment to the Messiah meant also commitment to the Messianic community. Committing to Jesus wasn't just like a, okay, it's me and Jesus thing, and that sounds great, and it goes well on Instagram. But it's also a, no, this is an us thing. And it's you joining in with 2,000 years of momentum, 2,000 years of history, 2,000 years of prayers being prayed, of people pushing the faith forward. Baptism's a big deal, and it's not just something that City Church does. It's something the church does. So uh, we're going to do this. You probably picked that up by the, uh, the kids' hot tub or the kids' pool outside. <laughs> Today's Baptism Sunday, and, uh, and we're going to do this in a few minutes. And I want you to know, uh, we're not baptizing, it's going to be Serhei. Um, we're not baptizing Serhei into City Church. We're baptizing him into the church the church uh, that's following Jesus. He's joining in with a number of us, and he's joining in with 2,000 years of history that's saying we're pushing this thing forward. And, uh, and if you have been baptized, I mean, you're a part of this. If, if you've not been baptized, uh, but you would say you follow Jesus, um, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And, and don't just jump in the pool. We're not going to baptize you without like talking to you. But Peter, at least from this sermon, it doesn't seem to put like a whole lot of caveats of like, okay, then you got to do this, this. He doesn't load them up with religious requirements. He doesn't say you got to reach a certain stage of perfection. He says, no, I need, the, I need your faith to be genuine. And then I want to I see you baptized into this community. And that's what we get to witness today. It's kind of where the church all began with a revival and a bunch of baptisms. And it's our origin story. It's where we uh, have come from. And, uh, and I have really good news. I think this is good news. The church isn't going anywhere. I mean, the church, it's still been moving and breathing, and the church isn't going anywhere. She is still beautiful. She's still influential. She's still powerful. And it's a bummer that Peter's not here, and James and John died, and uh, actually none of the 120 are around None of the 3,120 are around. It's pretty much just on us. Like, it's just on the people that are alive today to keep moving the church and the mission and the gospel forward. And call me crazy, but I actually believe the church's best days are ahead. I actually think 
that the church's best days are ahead. And I know we're missing Peter, and he would have been great, but I think we can actually do this. I actually think it seems like with the momentum that's behind us, 2,000 years of history and testimonies and story, we have the privilege of picking up the torch and saying, no, now it's our turn. Now the books in the future are going to be written about what this generation does. I don't think the church is going anywhere. There's still way more good to be done. There's more lives to change. There's more problems to solve. The church is still on the move. And today we get a very tangible view of that momentum. I think baptism is one of the clearest things that we can see in the church of how this is still on the move. And, uh, and so here's what's going to happen. Uh, we are, I'm going to end in like 45 seconds. We're going to go outside. We're going to hear a testimony and uh, we'll just be really quiet during that because there's a microphone, but we'll hear Sergei's testimony and uh, then I'm going to baptize him and then we're going to party because that's the response that baptism and salvation and being brought into the family of God deserves. And we're going to party as we like uh, worship. And so we're going to be outside, we're going to be worshiping, and here's what, if you know Sergei or if you um, are kind of near the hot tub uh, or the warm tub, feel free to, as soon as he gets out of the water, we're going to pull him out and then we're going to pray for him. It says that the Holy Spirit uh, has uh, access, I mean, he comes in in baptism, and I know Sergei, he doesn't want to waste an opportunity for more of God, so we're going to pray over him as we are singing worship, and we're going to party because this is what momentum looks like. This is what the church on the move looks like. And I actually believe, call me crazy, I actually believe our best days as a church are ahead. I totally believe Sergei's best days are ahead. And that's worth celebrating. It's worth um, worshiping. It's worth um, seeing the power of God at move. And so uh, I am finished for now. We're gonna go outside, we're gonna party, and we're gonna have that last song outside.